everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. Yes, welcome to LOI Central. Shamrock Rovers are champions again. Three uh, championships in a row for the hoops. Uh, Seals signed and delivered on Monday night at Derry City failed to beat Sliger Rovers. So the title race lasted a few days and it's done. So congratulations to Shamrock Rovers. Lots of slagging, which we get to on the mailbag. Uh, but we are in association with Future Ticketing, our sponsor since the start of last season. Collar and Cuff, it is uh, it's turning into a award season now. So uh, if you are heading along to the various award nights and you do uh, show up Collar and Cuff in Glasnevin, Decky will give you um, free shirt and tie if you uh, just mention uh, the lovely LOI Central sponsorship. And of course, Porterhouse Brewery will be helping us to give away four more free beers this week. And if you're a Shamrock Rovers fan, you will be apt to celebrate. And Dan, yeah, it just uh, it didn't last very long. We were both in Tala on Friday. Patrick's Athletic went 1-0 up after four minutes. Uh, Derry were seemingly on the way to uh, closing the gap. They were going to beat Derry City. Didn't happen. It's all over. Yeah, Derry and Shelburne. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the night, wasn't it? Like, we probably thought that... Um... And I should mention, on today's show, Pico Lopez will be on very shortly. Yes. And then we'll be, we'll be joined by Richie Ryan, a brilliant League of Ireland player who's just retired. But yeah, so we'll be getting in on the on the Rovers' uh, buzz uh, with Pico. But yes, it, it was a short-lived title race, Dan. Yeah, that was that was the night. I mean, it, it's been a funny title race because it's, it's existed in various various parts of the season but it hasn't really been sustained and it's I listen obviously I, I saw a few comments uh, from various people sent sent in our general direction or, or your direction and one or two comments but that's the that's the nature of putting yourself out there and having opinions on a League of Ireland podcast um, sometimes you know sometimes you know they're going to be uh, they're going to be thrown back in your face but uh, that's the beauty of it um, look I mean last Friday was the night like we probably were hoping that this Sunday would be the night in the sense of like this defining race. But actually, look, at least last Friday it was on TV. There was that little sense of the drama with Pat scoring early and it's like, right, they're up against it here. And um, and ultimately all the other mad stuff that was happening last Friday, which we'll probably touch on later with Bowes and Finn Harps and Dundalk and Sligo Rovers and all sorts of goals finding and all sorts of games. But there was a sort of Rovers thing. It was just sort of just... They just sort of sort of killed the drama in a very impressive clinical way, like a sort of a contract killers, you know. There was no um there was no sort of a real mad fuss around their response to going behind. You're actually looking on the sidelines to see like there was a bit of you could feel a bit of panic in the ground. Definitely. Yeah. You, could, you could feel a bit of unease in the stadium and there was one moment early in the game where I'm trying to think was it Jack Byrne or someone gave the ball away. And there was that little murmur that comes when the punters are like, oh, what's going on here? But um, you could see on the sideline that that wasn't really the case. There was a sense of, you know, sort of keep calm and carry on type thing. And uh, they, they, they did, you know. And sorry, keep calm and carry on is actually something that you would use in a sort of a mocking way about like uh, the Tories in the UK or something, and um, but in this case, uh, unlike the Tories, they have uh, they have one clear leader and they are delivering results. And um, they they sort of they 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 I mean and listen, like last Friday in a way at halftime the story was pretty poor officiating. Uh, Rob Hennessy's missing a blatant foul for the second goal, and there was an element of 
oh, you know, Rovers, they're getting all the breaks here. But they, the second half against a Pats team that uh, are in good form lately, uh, Rovers showed who was the boss and who was the boss by some distance. And when they needed to, they showed up. If if Derry City hadn't gone on the run that they've gone on, um, and let's let's be fair to Derry, they have made it interesting. It did look like you know something could happen going into Friday's game. The expectation was Derry would win. They've stopped conceding goals. They've gone on a great run. So Shamrock Rovers had to pull it out of the fire. They'd fought six minutes to go in normal time, and they were losing at home to a really dogged shell team. Um, we're obviously on their own sort of run to the cup, and. In in fairness, I mean it was a, a terrible mistake by Sean Hoare for the first goal. So they kind of gifted Pats a goal, uh, an informed Pats team, and Sean Hoare and Dan Cleary got three goals between them thereafter, or rather two goals between them. Dan Cleary haven't scored twice himself, so they showed against Shells. They showed the goals that are coming around the team, and ultimately, um, I felt that they squeezed the life out of Pats. It was it was kind of like you were saying. It was routine. It was just like the machine. Just keep passing the ball. Um, a, a very good ball to uh, Andy Lines from Pico Lopez. And then that said, it's up Graham Burke. Eventually, the pressure tells. But Pats were under the cosh at that stage. Ultimately, Tundi Olabi has a great chance to make it interesting at 3-2. And then it becomes from being a potential 3-2, it's 4-1 against 10 men and it's game over. But let's be honest here, Pats were utterly subservient for the vast majority of that game. And that is why Sharon Grove was the champions. They were very, very good. They had to respond to, if if after that Dundalk game, uh, Derry had gone on a sort of an OK run and they just slept walk to the title, um, it would be, uh, fair enough, it would be less dramatic. And it's not particularly dramatic as it is, but there's no getting away from the fact that they totally deserve to win this. And uh, it was, I'd prefer, obviously, if we had something going into the Derry Rovers game, but I was very impressed with Shamrock Rovers on Friday night. Um, Pats were bang in form and they squeezed the life out of them. They did. Uh, Dan Cleary, to be clear, didn't score twice on, on Friday, but he did score that big goal yeah. against Shells, which might just be in the mind that he has actually... Sort of Two goals up, against Shells. Popped up with big goals um towards sort of the end of the season. And, and that's actually been um that's actually been sort of crucial. Um so um yeah, I mean, like you look at the broader, like let's look at the broader piece. I mean, the details of Friday's game are pretty much irrelevant now in a way. Like, you know, Rovers have what they did the last season they finished with 78 points. At the moment, they've got 73. Um, and that's with two games remaining. Now, second place last year was St. Pat's with 62. Um, Derry at the moment are second place with 66. So in a way, it sort of shows that like Rovers have been sort of, they've, they've performed quite similarly in terms of points on the board. Um, but, you know, they've, they've had a better rival in terms of Derry sustaining it for longer. Obviously, how do points go from here? I mean, Derry have the cup final in mind and Rovers have, can really put it to vote their energies to the two European games. So I think that's a good reflection of it now. Like things can happen in the last in junk time that sort of distort the picture of a table. Um, so that's like that's almost the the story of the year. And Stephen Brady did say today, he spoke this morning, um, this is Tuesday morning, and there was a sort of a press event arranged with Stephen Bradley, who um uh, I think he'd, you know, he'd 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 gone home to the family after. I think I think he got the chance to have a small bit of a celebration with his staff, I think. But uh, the, the the overriding sense was this was the hardest one to to win, um, mm. just because of the European situation. Um, I think he he would make the point, and it's not unreasonable that if it wasn't for Europe, um, if they'd been playing every Friday as opposed to sort of Thursday Sunday, would they have won it earlier? Would they have picked more points up? Um, 
I think that's fair to say that they would have done that. And when you consider that they've still got similar enough points told to last year when they didn't have that um, distraction of Europe in, on the home stretch, it probably shows that ultimately they have performed quite well this year, like really well this year, even though it's just a reflection of it. And this will continue to probably niggle away at them uh, or niggle away at some Rovers fans that like they've won three in a row. It's a huge achievement. And yet you just know at the end of the year when like RTE and various people are doing their sports at awards and team of the year and manager of the year and all of this, they'll get a mention, but not a big one. And they won't be sort of mm. talked about as contenders and it won't be talked about as one of the great Irish sports teams. And that's going to niggle away at them um, and it's going to annoy them. Um, but in a way, I sometimes wonder, is that a healthy thing for them too? Because it, it, it means that they're sort of like determined to keep going and to keep going and to keep going. And if they can make three, four, and even Bradley was talking today about making four or five, which is like the, the best run ever, you know, the greatest run in League of Ireland history, then they'll eventually, all of that will come their way um, if they aren't necessarily going to land a massive blow in Europe, which is the type of thing that really does put you on the on the map in, a, in the in the greater scheme of things. Because, like, in fairness to Bradley, like, they, they do have the biggest budget now. This is actually the first year where they've had the property, the biggest budget. Um, mm. Obviously, you had Mad Captain Dog last year, um, which was a bit weird, but even 2020, um, which was a bit more of a um, a, a normal fight at the start before Dundalk imploded midway through. The Rovers were starting to get on top, but Dundalk still would have had the biggest wage bill. Um, now Rovers do have that. Now you would imagine that they'll probably go again. You know, you hear sort of whispers about potential good players in the league. They might go and recruit. They might even try and pay a few fees. Who knows? Um, so they're sort of in a situation where um, like Derry are really going to have to step up from what they are to, 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 to sort of stop the four next year. Like, I know, the, I mean, I did write about this in a piece today. Um, Stephen Bradley will have his own ambitions, you know, and yeah. like when he nearly left during the season, there definitely would have been some unease amongst sort of uh, the dressing room because he'd signed every player there. There's always a danger that you'd lose your rhythm if the manager changes. And I still wouldn't be surprised if 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 his name is mentioned in relation to posts that sort of crop up over the winter. So there's that little little bit of a of a niggle there. These are things that can happen. Um, he spoke very well today about the family situation, which has been you know hugely sort of draining element of the year, even to the point where he mentioned that he wasn't even sure if he would necessarily make the game last Friday at one stage because his son had quite a difficult day on Friday. So that sort of puts even the Pats game into an even, even to even another sort of a slightly different bracket in terms of how you look at it um, and stuff that was going on that day. Now he's, he did say he's very hopeful about the future and, and, and that, that say family concerns wouldn't stop him from considering things if they were to come up. Um, down down the line, so that's those are the little things that make you think that like this this Rovers domination may not last forever. Um, but they are pretty well equipped, I think, if they freshen up their squad a bit over the winter to push on. Or, or, or what do you think? Do you think do you think four in a row will be done, or do you just think natural momentum will be with Derry going forward? Like, well, give us a Johnny Ward prediction. That's what that's what the people want, Johnny. 
Yeah, well, I wanted. Uh, I think I think you you did want. I mean, it was. I was texting you last night. It was a very very anticlimactic end to it all. And you know, the week now is kind of. Um, well, I'm secretly hoping... delighted because I actually can't. Uh, I can't. I was never able to go to the game this Sunday because of a, a long-standing family commitment. So now it looks like I'm a true professional that I uh, I did I didn't miss the league decider when actually I was in a situation where I was going to miss it. But aside from that and my own personal yeah. selfishness, uh, it was a flat ending. Let's be honest, it was. Yeah, but well, Derry uh, Derry did disappointed in Europe this year. It's early on in the uh, Rory Higgins uh, story there, so they were you know they were in the cup. They're able to concentrate in the league, and I think you know it did it, it did feel like this is probably a bit of a you know a year too early for Derry for all that they've gone on a great run. They haven't scored enough goals at crucial times. Shamrock Rovers have gotten a lot of late goals in games where they've grinded out over the last two or three seasons. And in fairness, I would stand by what I said. I think Europe's been very underwhelming. They haven't scored a goal yet. Probably a sign of the probably a sign of the levels that you need to be at at times. Maybe we underestimate that. Getting into the group stage is an achievement. There's no doubt about that. And then you're it into is. another level. And they haven't been able to. I think, you know, you look at Danny Mandroy, who's kind of hitting form in England. Uh, he is a big loss. Uh, Jack Byrne was kind of half injured for much of us. They miss Pico Lopez. Um, I think it is underwhelming. But, you know, the, the more I do look back on it, pragmatically, it was very important that uh, they got the job done in the league. Far more important than a probably an avaricious attempt to get out of that group in the first place. But now I'm just hoping that, you know, they get a point or two um, to kind of save face a bit, get another point rather and get a goal because um, I think this is a very good Rovers team. But I think they'll have a lot of learnings from next year going into Europe. I think that'll already be on Stephen Bradley's mind. But ultimately, if when you produce forms like that Friday to beat Pats 4-1, um, a Pats team that went 1-0 up and is in great form, Derry City wouldn't have been able to do that. So when I said last week, I thought Derry City were the best team in the league right now. Friday... I don't think Derry City would have been able to beat uh, St. Pat's 4-1, uh, even though they beat them 4-0 earlier in the season. They formed Derry are in, and to go 1-0 up, they absolutely just, they they tore them apart, and they're worthy champions. Um, you know, I, I do think there is that lingering thing. They might not get the the credit, maybe, that you would think would be due to them because of the three in a row, because we've had a COVID year, with a short year. Um, we know we had a canter last year and this season they won the title on a kind of a sleepy midweek night when they weren't even playing and they disappointed in Europe so maybe next year it'll be the final crown glory but like that I mean what you said there Dan I didn't even know that about Stephen Bradley you forget these things that uh, might even have been able to make the match on Friday and um, I think that the, it's a sign of the quality of the people that he's brought into the group that they've rallied around him it's under I think it's definitely underestimated how he's kept that squad hungry and content and, um, you know, able to use that squad, whereas other other managers just lose his dressing room. It's never happened to Rovers and um, they're an outstanding football team. I, I, it's probably a good debate. Where are they in the in the realms of the really good League of Ireland champions? And it's probably one we'll have to have another day. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll come back to it, I think. And I, I suspect, you know, as they as they target four in a row, there's obviously, um, you know, big historical connotations with that. I mean, there's nothing for Derry is they've had 12 draws this year at 34 games. But I have to say, uh, and they didn't necessarily play their full team against Sligo Rovers, like as in they made changes. And I do wonder, I think there possibly was a sense in Derry that the game was up on Friday. They felt they probably needed to win in, you know, win all their games in. There is a pattern where so many times in games this year that they haven't closed them out when they've been in the position of the dominance. And like that, that's a part of being a good team. You know, that's a part of being able to say you're the best team. Like Rovers are undoubtedly the best team. Like they get it done. Like Derry on their day can be very good. And there's broader debates about even 
you know, does their pitch hinder them? You know, uh, mm. it, it definitely does. But like, you probably look at that Rovers shells um, comeback, um, and you're thinking, okay, Derry did get a late goal against Rovers at the start of the season. They the late goal against shells and, and talked to recently, but that coming from two one down to win three two and and they got a late goal against Bowes. I'm sure people could pick examples to me here. But at the business end of the season, when the pressure was on Rovers, when like you're the spotlight's on you, lads, you're two one down at home to Shells, it's driving rain. They went and won it. And I think Derry, a lot of the times they got into position to 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 put the pressure on. They didn't do that. And as a result, yes, twelve draws is bad, but I don't think they can have any real complaints. Um about where they're going to finish in the league. But certainly, um, we should say, obviously, we are remote this week, just various reasons. Um, you, you're, over in, uh, you're over in Galway, I'm in Dublin. But that sort of did allow us at short notice to arrange to catch up with Pico, uh, Roberto Lopez, Pico Lopez, because everyone basically calls him Pico Lopez. In fact, um, his sign-in name on Zoom is Pico. Uh, and we did have a chance to catch up with him a little bit earlier on. So, Pico Lopez, welcome to the show. Where did you learn Shamrock Rovers were champions? Were you watching the game last night, uh, or were you getting texts, or what way did you did you learn the job was done? Yeah, no, I sat down and watched the game at home, um, and yeah, I say a few minutes. So I went to the stoppage time. You could see the WhatsApps were starting to hop in, like, and uh, obviously confirmation came at full time, and. We were all delighted. Uh, we were texting each other in the group and obviously getting messages from family and friends. Like So, uh, yeah, all, all delighted that it's confirmed there last night and uh, looking forward now to enjoying the last few weeks of the season. I mean, is it a strange one? Like, we, we spoke to a couple of people after the Pats game on Friday, like the manager and Sean Hoare, and there was a little sense of uh, it'd be great to, to win it on the pitch, you know, to actually have that final whistle on the pitch, which... You did have it last year, I think, with the Finn Harps game. The year before was similar. I think it was Bose Finn Harps on, you know, that that's yeah. like listen, the sense of achievement will last forever. But is there a small lingering bit of oh, geez, it would have been nice to do it in one of our games, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose it's always probably better or it's always nicer to win it at home in front of your, your home fans. Like just so the celebration probably means a bit more. But uh, for me personally, I think uh once you win it, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, and the, the sooner it's done, the better. Like, and uh, as I say, now we can win to Sunday and really look forward to having a trophy presentation in front of our fans uh, and uh, and enjoying the day. Really, because that's what it's about. Like, they work so hard to get to, to this point, and we can we can really enjoy it. Three-time league winner. How does that sound? Yeah, it's still a bit surreal. Probably hasn't hasn't sunk in yet, but uh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic achievement um, for the whole club. Like, and uh, obviously, I'm delighted to. To be on the list as, as a three-time winner now, like, um, but uh, it's probably something that it probably won't sink in for maybe a few weeks or maybe until they finish because obviously want to add to it as long as I'm playing. I mean, is there? There's obviously there's different grades within your dressing room in the sense that you'd have someone like say Andy Lyons, like it's you know it's his first time doing it, um, and then there's others who would have joined, you know, having been at Dundalk, say you know Sean Hoare, Sean Gannon have joined midway through, like after 2020 and stuff. What what's it like for for you having been there for a little bit of a struggle as well? Like you know, there's sort of that that climb up the ranks when you know people wondered would would Rovers get over the line? That was definitely a, a fear that did exist at, at one stage, and now like you've you've yeah. been through that whole cycle. That must be particularly satisfying for maybe you guys who were there all the way. 
yeah, hundred percent. To say like every league means means the most to me, and uh, it's it's always something that I wanted to do since I started playing in the League of Ireland was to win a league. It took me ten years to do it, and uh, when you realise uh, how what it takes and how how much hard work it actually does to get over the line. Uh, you don't take them lightly, as I say. Like we were close uh, a few years ago with Rovers in 2019, and we had a really good season, but it wasn't good enough to to win the league. And then when you finally get your hands on it, and you realise how how relentless you have to be in, in chasing your goal, that uh, every league it doesn't come lightly, and you just appreciate them even more. It's like it's hard to win the league; it's, it's very hard to retain them, and you just retain that tour title, which is a phenomenal achievement. And we're looking forward to putting that title defence already now next year. We a couple of us spoke to the manager this morning um, at Roadstone, and he said that this year he felt was the hardest one, um, and that was because of the, the sort of the European fixtures and and you know what what that brought to it. Now I know you were injured for a, a portion of the run, but um, would you agree with that sentiment? Like did this feel like a a, a tougher one, even in some ways, to, to get over the line? Yeah, definitely. I, I always feel that the, the toughest one is, is the next one. It's the toughest game. It's, it's the next game coming up or the, the toughest league is, is the one that you're trying to win. Like, obviously, you had the added games of, uh, of the Europe League, which is which is brilliant. That comes off the back of success. And if you want to be successful uh, domestically and trying to have a go abroad, like you had to be prepared to be playing these, the extra volume of games and maybe playing a game every three days. So it was uh, it was really hard, uh, say, especially when you try to travel into it as well but um, it's something that you, you have to welcome you can't uh, try and strive to be in these positions and, and give out then when uh, when you're asked to do these things like so uh, it was it was a great challenge and it's not over yet like you said I have two European games to play and two league games to play like so uh, it's just about trying to enjoy every minute and you know you'll you keep trying to apply yourself and working hard to get your rewards at the end of the season I guess because well when uh, you when you beat uh, Dundalk three 0 in Tala, it looked like it was completely done and dusted. But that that wasn't the case because Derry actually went on a run where like that win over Shells you had and the performance on Friday nights became necessary. Yeah, definitely. And and look, that that's that's the league. Like to say, like it, there's there's plenty of ups and downs uh, throughout the season. Uh, Derry went on a fantastic run, like and pushed us all the way. Like um, and they're re- they've been a really good uh, side this year. Like. Um, but that's just that's just part of the parcel to say like just just twists and turns. Like we had a really good run at the start of the season, maybe before the European campaign, and then obviously the extra the extra games where you start chopping and changing yeah, bodies in the team and say trying to recover from travel and, and games, like uh, it, it all comes into factor. Like and I think we always needed to kind of like win the big games as well, coming into the run in like and uh, we, we we've done that like and we've asked the question of Derry like and uh, and like they pushed us all the way, like, and then here we are now. Like, so it's been a, it's been a tough season, it's been a competitive season, but uh, it just makes it all sweeter in the end. What was Friday night like? I mean, you you were involved heavily in the first goal, brilliant pass down the left handy line, if I remember rightly. But I, I suppose uh, people thought Pats, I definitely thought Pats would give you a big game, one nil up, and then you sort of strangle the life out of them. Yeah, look, it, we knew what we, what it was about, like um, especially being at home. We knew it was a Dublin derby, like, and uh, we knew that like Pat was coming and trying to win. Obviously, they're pushing for that that tour place, like, um, but, um and obviously got going a goal behind. But we just had to believe that what we do, like, will we, we'll get us our results, and we, we were determined to, to to win it, win that game, and um, say it was in a in a really strong position going into the last two games, um, but um. Yeah, look, sorry, I'm still trying to process everything here. Like, but um, it was just really important to get the win. I say it was a scrappy one-nil win. Um, that's all we were looking for. 
just just on Europe and that, like I think it's one of must be one of the disappointments for you that you've just fi- figured so featured so little because of your injury. Was that one of the drawbacks of the season for you? Because I guess you were missed, whether whether uh, people will agree or not. Yeah, look, obviously you, you want to play every game. I think in the campaign, like and uh, been trying to get to Europe for a number of years now, and unfortunately got injured in the qualifying uh, phase. But the lads uh, were were brilliant to say to, to, to end up qualifying for the group stages and. I was lucky enough that my rehab went well. There was no real setbacks, and I was able to get myself back to be a part of the group stages, which is fantastic. And to say I came back at a time where there was a uh, really competitive games in in the league, and uh, trying to get wins in in Europe as well. Like so, um, look, it, it all worked out well. I'm a big uh, sort of uh, tinker of like you can only control the controllables. Like there's nothing I do with my injury. There's only I could control was get back uh, and be a part of this uh, running, and I have done that. Like and it's, it's been brilliant. Yeah, I mean, Pico, I think the, the, one of the things about this this achievement, and I know there will be Rovers players in the shake-up for end of season stuff. I'm sure Rory Gaffney will be and, and maybe some others, but it does feel like it really has been a squad thing this year. Like, you know, sometimes you'd have league wins in the past, like Sean Maguire scored all those goals for Cork, and the Cork win was the Sean Maguire win in a lot of people's eyes. But with this Rovers group, it, it is very much a squad game, right? Like, everyone... You know, everyone's had little setbacks. There's probably very few players have played all the games. I mean, I suppose Alan Manis would be up there, maybe Gary O'Neill and a few played a lot of games, but it really has sort of been everyone in a way, isn't it? Like everyone's had some sort of part. 100%. 100%. And I think we knew that going into the season, especially if you want to be competing on all fronts in the league, in the cup, and, and in Europe, like that, we're going to need everyone. And I think if you look at Probably our group at certain stages of the season, like we probably were out with were out Jack for a good chunk of it, we were out Brokey for a good chunk of it. Danny started the season really well, and then he got his move to, to Lincoln City, like, and then um, you had Greener coming in and, and being brilliant, like, as well, like, for a number of games. Like, uh, it's just it's, it was always going to be the case where it's going to be a squad, uh, squad um, rotation is going to be really important to us, like. Um, and yeah, I say like everyone played a part. It could be the stage where it, it could be new probably going into the season. Sorry, I should say that it might be a stage where you don't play 10 games, but you could play the next 20. And that goes for everyone in the group. And even the young players that came in, like likes of Justin, likes of Gideon, have done really well and really stayed that claim for, for playing games and in, in the manager's mind. Like, just an, another aspect of the season, and again, the manager did speak about this earlier. I mean, clearly, he had the situation with his son, which has been, um, you know, it's 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 obviously very emotional, a very personal thing. Um, but he did speak about how when he missed that game against Dundalk, you know, the the players and the staff all came together and and sort of, I don't know, kept the show on the road as such, for want of a of a better term. I mean, is there is the, I don't, there must be a real strong sense of sort of togetherness in the group that you did all respond to that. I remember you were on the pitch talking about it after maybe the first game after as well and. There does seem to have been a real rallying around the manager as much as he's he's your leader and he's your boss, but you also had to sort of rally around him a bit too. Absolutely. Look, it was it was devastating news when, when we heard uh, about Josh and um, we just said to ourselves, we met as a group, we met as, as players, like to say that we wanted to do it for, for him. Say, the, the gaffer and his family are, are going through so much now and if we can give them a little joy by winning the game or, or, or winning the league, then we'll do our best to do that. Like, and uh, I say, like, it was great. We had Josh in, in the dressing room in certain moments in Gaff. We played them off at home and after the game against Pats, he was in the dressing room. And it was just great to be able to, to celebrate with him. 
and uh, and now we have we have a league title to to, to put a smile on his face and look it's, it's credit to the gaffer as I say he wanted to rally around him as well like he has all this going on his family and he's and he's still coming in to to kind of get prepared for games uh, committing his time and his effort where I'm sure his, his mind has been elsewhere at times as well like and to say like us as players like uh, the best thing we can do for him is is show up week in week out day in day out and, and really try and win this league from like and say it's over the line now and, and it's just great it's great for it's great for us as players it's great for our families but it especially means most to the gaffer and his family I'm sure What's the managerial group like in general, Pico? The you see them kind of huddling together after games. They seem to be a big, uh, very much a group. And um, have they have they grown as a group? I suppose in your time at the club. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's it's a really tight knit group. Whereas that's the, the staff, or whereas that's the players. And I think uh, like one obviously bounces off the other. Like so, you can't really have a tight knit group of players, and your, your staff is sort of uh, all over the place. Like and I think they set the, the standards for how they want the team to be like and look we've all grown together I suppose over the last few seasons like trying to get better trying to push ourselves to new boundaries and becoming really close friends as well which, which I think is important we all get along with each other well but we all challenge each other as well to be better just the, the the figures I think that were um, mentioned in terms of the Friday night average crowds at Tala and you get that you get that feeling now it's so rare in the League of Ireland that a club is kind of regularly getting six, seven thousand even at games. Do you feel that it is like something special happening there? Definitely, yeah. It, it's incredible. I was actually only talking to, to some fella in, in the gym there earlier today about the attendances. I think when I was uh, when I was playing for Bowles and, and going to Tala or even before few seasons at Tala, you're probably maybe getting two thousand at the games like and now like you say the average figure is around five or six like and the last few games it's been a sellout at around seven and a half which is it's absolutely unbelievable and look please God now when the new North Stand is finished we can uh, add a few more numbers to that like and uh, there's no telling where where the attendance is for League of Ireland football in general we'll go with say looking forward to next year there's going to be a really competitive league as I Cork have dragged in some great numbers as well like and hopefully the overall attendance across the league will be get better. What, what do you think that's down to? Is it is it the uh, you know I think Dan wrote about this today that you know the the young people who've kind of grown up as Rovers came into Tala, is it down to the fact that actually it's pretty good standard football, good quality, and you're getting to see the likes of Jack Byrne week to week? Yeah, look, there's, there's a number of factors. Obviously, the the stadium's a big thing. Tala Stadium for me is probably the best stadium in, in the league. Like it's it's, it's a great facility. Uh, the success as well that the team has had at, at the last few years, it's really given Tala a staple where people can go and watch a, as you say, a successful team and be proud to be a member of Tala, like the community, the wider community itself. And you say like the quality of players that we've been able to attract the last few years, the likes of Jack, the likes of Borky, the likes of Danny and, and, and even Rory, like uh, exceptional talents. And you say it's, it's just something that's great to get behind uh, in the city of Tala, like so um, how long may that continue? What are your ambitions now going forward, I guess, to finish the group well in Europe um, and score, I suppose, as well? Yeah, 100%. Look, we want to win the remaining games of the season, whether that's domestically and uh, or in Europe. Uh, and yeah, just really go out there and, and enjoy ourselves like in the games. Like So um, yeah, looking forward to finishing the season strong and then enjoying the break. Just thinking, uh, Pico, like, think now in years to come, how are you going to remember the year 2022? Because we would have started off the year kind of, working together on your column you were doing for the Indo at AFCON. Like you started off in January in, yeah. in uh, the African Cup of Nations when, when a lot of players were in pre-season here, you were over the other side of the world. Like you actually left last Christmas, wasn't it? Like that's where, that's where your year yeah. started. 
But I'm just yeah, thinking that you buy a house, you turn 30, you've got engaged. Like, yeah, but like, well, listen, I turned 40 this year, pal. So listen, I mean, come on. Um, yeah. But like, that's a, that's a hell of a year, really, isn't it? Like, that's a lot of sort of landmark moments. You've played in the Europe and, you know, you played in the group stage. Like, it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a year you're going to look back on in years to come and think that was a good time in my life, I'd say. Yeah, look, it, I suppose, yeah, looking back on it now, it, it's been a, an incredible year, some some really good milestones, but it's also a year where I probably learned a lot about myself uh, and a lot of challenges that I had to sort of maybe overcome. Like, and uh, I suppose, again, this game, you never stop learning, but as you say, it's been an incredibly long, long season. It started back in December and going to the AFCON and obviously uh, having great achievements over there, like getting out of our group and the memories over there, but also being really sick, like, and coming home and trying to get myself right to go into a long campaign with, with Shamrock Rovers. Like, and um, yeah, look, it, it was it was fantastic. We were able to to buy a house in the meantime, we were able to get engaged and we were able to, to win a league off the back of it. Like, um, I also had to, with the injury, like, just uh, get my mind around that as well. Like, so it's, it's been really challenging, but as you say, it's, it's definitely one to remember and hopefully I can, I can take what I've learned in this year and bring it into the next few seasons. So those challenges, was it, sorry, the, the, the firstly, the recovery from coming back from... Afcon and then the injury, or was there other stuff, or was that that like were they the big, the big challenges? No, they, they were the they were, they were the big ones, and and I suppose as well. I knew because obviously coming off the back of last season, um, I had a really short break, maybe maybe two weeks, and I had to continue training to be be fit for the Afcon. And I knew maybe that at some stage the season that I, I could be suffering the effects of burnout. So I needed to know that, like, get my body right and mind right to know that, like, right, it's not about being. Like 100% perfect uh, in the first few months of the season. It's about coming to the to the business end of the season and making sure that I'm still firing all cylinders. Um, and look, that's like in, in a weird way, the injury was maybe maybe a way of just giving me set body a little bit of a rest, a bit of a recovery, and, and come back really strong for the for the end of the season. So I suppose it's a bit a little bit of silver line in every uh, in every cloud, like, and um, that was probably it for me. Just finally, then I know like the nature of football is that like you, you, you want to enjoy a moment, but then everyone starts talking about the next one. And in fairness, you've mentioned it a couple of to- a couple of times in, in, yeah. in this chat yourself. But I mean, that four in a row was like it's something we've all grown up hearing, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the fans singing about like, you know, we won four in a row. And yet now, like it's it's within touching distance like that must be something that that drives you on as a group that sometimes people would worry that like you know it's hard to regain leagues because teams lose their hunger like they lose you know they always they get to the top of the mountain and then the only way to go is down but does that four in a row thing sort of you know that piece of history is that going to be something that's it's actually going to be easy to motivate yourselves next year uh, yeah, look, it's it's definitely a motivational tool. Of course, as you say, like it, it was, it's a fantastic uh, team that final round team. But you can't really be speaking the same breath to them until you're kind of on on level with them, and we had the opportunity as far as next year to to be regarded in the same breath as them. Like, and, and that'd be a motivation. And look, the, the team itself will have motivation just to win the league um, every every year. At Shamrock Rovers, I suppose it's become an expectation where you need to be competing uh, for leagues, for trophies, or they say in, in the in the group stage, it's like so. Uh, yeah, look, we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy this one. We'll celebrate our third one. And then, as I said, when we're back on the pitches uh, in pre-season, I'm sure that'll be one of the motivation until it's, uh, to try and win the league next year. Actually, just finally, I mean, you were in the gym this morning, so I'm guessing um, there, wasn't a big, uh, there wasn't a big celebration last night because you're all sort of watching it at home. But when are you going to actually yeah. fit this in? Like, you've got a big game on Thursday. 
Maybe you might, maybe on Sunday you might get to enjoy yourselves a small bit, maybe, you know, but I know you have Jar Garden next week as well. So you have to sort of yeah. find the right time for this, don't you? Yeah, well, this is it. I say we'll all be in talks, players and staff and, and club will we'll all be in talks and that like, but don't worry, we'll definitely enjoy ourselves, uh, whether that's soon or, or later. And uh, yeah, we're looking to, looking forward to popping open the champagne. Good stuff. Listen, it's been great to have you on, Pico. Really appreciate it. Thank Thank you, Pico. We'll Thanks, John. Yeah, no problem. Any time glad to see you as well. So there we go, Johnny. Um, he's a happy man. He's a happy man. I think he's been. Uh, I think his leadership was definitely um, missed at times, and it is testament to them that they had the defensive cover to uh, win the league. And he's probably, as he says, as well, he's coming back fresh towards the end of the season. It's hard to believe how long he is at Rovers now. He, as you say, he's gone through the times where they were probably the Derry City of today, trying to build and build and, and get to where Rovers are now. Um, but yeah, I couldn't get a bit of slagging about calling him Pico. But, uh, you know, I've I've had a few dealings with Pico off the pitch where he's helped me out with stuff for friends and looked after uh, requests I had. You've done your newspaper column with him. So um, I think everyone calls him Pico. Far be it for... Uh, sometimes you're accused of being biased towards one club and then you're accused of being like anti Shamrock Rovers the same week or whatever. So can't have it always. That's the nature of football commentary, son. If you're not out... If you're not biased and in favour of someone, you're out to get them. But, like, that's... Uh, mm. That's the joys of it. But speaking of, uh, you know, listen, we, we sound like there we're speaking in sceptical terms about the views of uh, our listeners or the general public, which uh, clearly we shouldn't be capable of uh, of such disdain, but we are literally about to devote a whole section to their thoughts. Here's the mailbag. Hey, what's the time? It's mailbag time. A big bag of electronic letters. So, do we possibly still could start though. I mean, Andy McNulty, um, ex Bohemians goalkeeper, sort of Leinster Senior League uh, stalwart. Um, he did say what word has been used more in the past three episodes by Johnny uh, as a poll. You'd be obviously partial to a poll. Uh, Pico Lopez, interesting, or Galway United. I, I didn't pick up you'd been referencing Pico that much. Probably you have been talking really? about him being missed. But uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's been used more. Just checking the poll as it stands, Galway United is still out on top, which which does seem right to me. Playing Longford in the first leg of the playoff Wednesday uh, and then the second leg on Sunday, which is going to uh, be quite telling. And four players were blooded from the academy on Friday, including Oli Neary's son. Oli Neary would have been playing when I started supporting them. Um, it's very, very hard to know, Dan. It's very hard to know. I think there'll be a huge crowd in Sunday. The team has basically lost form over the last 10 games. Cork City sort of fell over the line a bit, weren't able to compensate. Um, it's uh, It'll be uh, a fascinating, fascinating playoffs. And obviously we have the ongoing battle uh, in the Premier Division where, you know, UCD just keep picking up points and a really good point to Talca. Yeah, I mean, you've completely ignored Andy's uh, question and taken the in a completely different direction, which uh, I admire. Um uh, but it was a big point for UCD. I mean, Finn Harps UCD is the, the big game on Friday. I mean, just the, the stakes are huge. Harps just have to win now, really. I know it's not done if they don't, but um, where are even Shamrock Rovers going to be at in the last day going to UCD? Um, I think Harps have to win on Friday and, and put their, their destiny in their own hands, at least. Uh, we have a lot of comments in the mail like this week. Um, you know, a few people asking us, uh, Pat Lynch, have we still got a title race? Uh, I think, Pat, we, we do not. A um, few questions about what we think the league will look like next year. You know, what would be progress 
uh, for Shamrock Rovers. I mean, Patrick Tutty asked about Rovers needing to add explosive players in the final third. Um, and he, he references Liam Burton, Phoenix Patterson, and certainly, um, I mean, I, I think it would be well known they would be in for, for Liam Burton. If he doesn't go to the UK, I think he'll go to Rovers. Mm. Um, Phoenix Patterson nearly joined them in mid-season, um, but Waterford weren't playing ball at that stage. Um, I'm not sure what his situation would be. I suppose how, how the playoff works itself out might have a factor in that. Um, Thomas Tormey, Stephen Batty has now managed Shamrock Rovers with as many league titles of, as Derry City have won in their entire history. Um, so, I mean, there we go. Um, Kevin Hoop, uh, how good are Rovers? Very, very good. Um, we were eight points behind Derry early in the season, now eight ahead. Rovers will be much stronger next year if the rumoured signings come about. Uh, and there's a lot of questions of that nature from um, from from Rovers fans, but maybe, uh, with no disrespect to anyone else who sent in Rovers-related comments, we should maybe go to one or two other topics. Um, Justin Mason, uh, he does, in fairness, he does actually say that um, that uh, Derry do deserve great credit for the run, but he does ask if Galway don't go up, Johnny, is that going to be the end for John Caulfield? He's under contract to next season anyway, so um, I wouldn't have thought so, no. And, uh, but I think um, whatever happens, I think uh, JC will realise that we've had three shots at the promotion at this stage, so it would be failure after three goals. We didn't make it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you have a roughly one in eight chance now, give or take, so it's it's unlikely. Um, this season has just kind of fallen off the cliff a bit, but... We're still in there fighting, Dan, where there's lights, there's hope and all that. Absolutely. You, you never know. Like, I mean, I, I kind of wonder, are we all underestimating Galway just because your season drifted away to nothing once you weren't going to catch Cork? But, like, I know, listen, your results have been poor and there's been some sloppiness there and uncharacteristic results, you would say, for a Caulfield team, like high-scoring games. But I kind of wonder, will the game phase suddenly be back on for what are effectively just cup ties now? Like, it's a completely different animal than... The, the consistency of a league race just versus these cup ties where it's do or die. It's I'm not you know I, I fancy Waterford. I'm not going to lie, but uh, I think it's, in fact that's not really an original prediction. I'd imagine they're probably you know favourites if it comes to pass. Um, but you know, um, Pat Mitchell does ask though, where does Johnny think Galway would have finished this season if the manager was a Ian Ryan, b Gary Crown, and c Tommy Barrett? Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, all would be fair. All would be fairly um, well regarded. I think uh, first division bosses. I think Ian Ryan has had a had a pretty difficult end to the season in many respects. And um, Tommy Bart has done a great job at Treaty. Gary Cronin um, is very well regarded. I don't know because John Caulfield is in there two and a bit years now. And for any of those managers to come in, he would have had to change, uh, made massive changes, and probably would have needed a bit of time. So I don't know. Um, obviously, our style of football is isn't uh, that pleasing to say the least. Um, I didn't really care about that though as long as we got promoted. Um, so uh, I, I don't know what the answer to that question is to be honest. Mm, yeah. Shane Kennedy, why have we got so many Monday matches? Clubs might as well budget for a drop in attendances with the Conference League uh, and more clubs are going to qualify given the less repetition. Basically, he asked should the league be extended? Well, I think what I would say, Shane, about this year is that um, Qatar has squeezed world football generally. I mean, that's even something to bear in mind with Rovers or whoever goes forward. Mm. There's actually a new schedule for the Conference League that that UEFA have uh, floated out there. Now, it's actually weird. Like this whole Swiss format they're changing to, where you're going away from groups and you're heading into like uh, 
you know, the Conference League is going to be just 36 teams, you know, each playing six games in a very convoluted table. But the Conference League is going to actually play into the middle of December. Like, the, I think there's one round uh, provisionally scheduled for something like the 15th, 16th of December, which is going to create a very different problem, actually, for an Irish club if they get into it from 2024 onwards. Um, because they'll they'll have a season that would go from probably pre-season in January till second week of the second third week of December. So on okay. one hand, that's a grueler. On the other hand, it means that they wouldn't have as many conference league games on top of league games, which might make their fixture schedule a little bit more sane in the business end of the league season. So there's two elements. But Shane, I have been sort of trying to inquire. Like I think we're going to learn a lot about the the where the league is going in the future from when they confirm the fixture list from for next year. Now, I don't think it's going to be dramatically different. It's going to be an early February start and maybe finishing before the November international break. Um, and you're going to have Monday games um, in that format. Um, they're just like some of these games are refixed games from teams getting to the FBI Cup semi-finals from European matches and, um, from various things that crop up, international breaks, although there obviously is gaps factored in for them. Um, I think if the Premier Division is is completely full-time, and if we get to that point, I think there's no need for a mid-season break. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, you could naturally create one. Um, you know, clubs who aren't in Europe could maybe have one if you sort of time fixtures, or time a break for them, maybe around the, the first round of European games. Um, so then there's, there's some sort of recharge of the batteries as a trade-off for not being in Europe because those European clubs will have some kind of financial advantage. Um, but really, like that's only a week. And I mean, if you have bad weather, I know you'll, you'll obviously talk, talk to us about that with, with, uh, with passion, um, you're going to have games called off. Um, I, I, in some ways, I'd like to go longer, but then I was thinking, I mean, you do have the likes of the Championship and League One in England that they actually finish up in the end of, April or May around Qatar and they 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 sort of uh they have long off seasons in a way but I I still feel I wouldn't be against us going all the way up until the end of November to be honest I know that can mean a cold mm. FEI Cup final at the start of December but I think if clubs have all of December off and January off but I don't know then you're talking about coming back to pre-season like it's it's I don't know like the league cup has been just taken out of the equation here um yeah so like I, I sort of feel like if we could knock another week or two onto our season, um, that would be no bad thing. But obviously, length of contract, part time, full time, all of this, all of this comes into it. Um, but even if you started a week earlier in February, I understand the November international break is a bit complicated for them, particularly as we now break for international breaks in this league. As we don't ideally you don't want a, a two week break, you know, before the end of the season. So maybe you do have to finish either early November or keep going a couple of weeks after that break for the sake of a bit of drama. Um, but it's it's a valid discussion to have. Uh, but the Monday games, listen, I, I know Damien Duff might have been given out about this. They happen in every league in the world, really, like mm. midweek refixtures. So mm. I wouldn't be labouring the point too much. Um, just a few other points. Uh, you know, a few comments asking us to comment on Sean Gleeson uh, Pat Devlin telling Bray fans on East Coast FM, if you're not on board with the merger, go support someone else. But just slightly more blunt than a longer interview in the Bray people with Tony Richardson, um, which was a bit more considered, I suppose, and, and less um, abrasive about the club's plans, while also saying that Pat Devlin would be a part of them 
as the head of football, speaking about full-time football from 2024, um, getting everyone on board. Yet it seems at odds, Johnny, with what's going on at Bray at the moment. Like, how are they suddenly going to create this happy family when it seems to be a pretty dysfunctional one right now? The, the, the problems here are also the fact that Bray have a, a terrible recent history. And um, I, when I was going into the uh, Pats, uh, the Pats to do, do, do Bows game the other night in um, in Inchy Court, Billy Boy Malloy was on the bus. And as I got to the ground, there was uh, John Ryan going in. So you're thinking back to the the glory days of, of Bray in the early 90s and so on. They got to cup finals since then. But the I think the club was probably very badly damaged by the pre-O'Driscoll uh, regime, um, who obviously became a, a complete laughing stock, really. Um, and uh, I think some of the stench really lingers from that era. And I listened to Devo coming back from the races last weekend, uh, two weekends ago, and he said this was a handover, not a takeover. Uh, sorry, not a merger. Um, and I think a lot of Brave fans have to be disenfranchised. And um, there is a seriously um, horrible kind of atmosphere at the club where you've members of the coaching staff basically having a pop uh, coming off the pitch uh, with with fans who've been you'd have to say in, in a football sense have been kind of long suffering fans at this stage. And Bray Dan is massive potential because it's uh, equivalent, I suppose, to Drogheda in some respects. Clubs that are very very close to Dublin can attract Dublin players and should should be. 100%. I think I predicted that they'd struggle this season, but they should have done an awful lot better than that. And it looks like they're managed um, by uh, a management team that obviously came from Cabin Teeley and hasn't brought the club forward at all. And I personally think um, Keith Long would be an amazing appointment at Bray. Um, I think Keith, Keith would have an awful lot to offer. He's from the area. Um, I think Devo's time is clearly up at this stage. A lot of people would would agree. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he wants to come on the, the podcast and tell me something else. But it's 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 sad. It's pathetic. Bray has massive Southside potential, Wicklow potential, um, potential in general in terms of where that club could go. And it's it's been a pathetic season, absolutely pathetic season. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can argue with the, the use of the word pathetic there. Uh, as I said, the Tony Richardson interview would give you a little bit more um, a little bit more encouragement, but yet you're sort of wondering to, to what degree is this tallying with the reality of how people actually feel out there at the moment. Um, Joseph Lennon had quite a few questions. Um, he references Sean Gannon and his nine league titles, and I, I we'll have to talk to, to, to Gannon at some stage because I think he sort, sort of considers it as eight himself, but he is technically down for nine. Um, um, well, actually, not by the qualification for a medal, but by a lot of people's measure because he was involved with Rovers in 2011. But he does ask, has the playoff final venue been fixed yet? That game could be a crowd puller. Joseph, it's going to depend on who's in it. And it's going to be a neutral venue depending on who's in it. So, for example, if it's Galway and, and Finn Harps, that would probably be in Sligo. If it's uh, Waterford and Finn Harps, probably Dublin. Um and you know Waterford UCD, so you you know you've treated you've long for you've all the various combinations. I think Richmond Park, you could have Waterford and UCD back in Richmond Park twelve months on, which would be quite the story. Mm. But I think if you end up with sort of two western or northwestern clubs, then it'll be on on that side of the country. Um, but that that yeah, that's basically um that's basically where we are with, with that. That's the plan. Shane, what does Johnny have against Supermax? Uh, what do I have against Supermax? Well, fast food in general is a terrible idea, and um, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be Pat McDonough's biggest fan in the world. Okay, you know? okay, that's fine. Really as well, and that um, uh, we had uh, a lot of comments. Dermot Clooney sent us a long message. Um, 
the refereeing standards in the league and how they've dropped. Um, and in the context, I suppose, of Rob Hennessy's performance last Friday, uh, Crutzy was on about that, amongst others. I did see something posted up recently with a number of yellow cards in recent games uh, Rob Hennessy's been involved in. And, um, yeah, look, it wasn't... Uh, uh, wasn't a great refereeing performance from him on a Friday, and yet he is someone that's been put forward to represent Ireland on the European stage. I'm not going to single out him because listen, he's been awarded that honour, and people of authority have clearly decided. Um, okay, like you know, they, 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 I don't know how exactly it works. You probably put people forward to a degree, but then like UEFA obviously have to keep using you and and mm-hmm. keep giving you games. And he, he had that sort of high pro, high pro, profile episode in Malta last year, but still. Um, seems to be regarded well by assessors. Um, even though I did feel uh, his, his control of the game last week uh, wasn't wasn't terrific, you know. But the, I was I spoke about this last year. There's a real issue with um, refereeing standards in this country. Getting talent, maybe that all feeds into refereeing abuse at lower levels and getting people involved. And there's a there's there's a multi layered aspect to it. But there's been a bit of a talent drain there in recent years, and they haven't really replace some of the good ones that have left it's tough as well I mean you know the the penalty on Graham Burke to me in real time didn't look stonewall but then replays show that it was I'm, I'm watching the the highlights back and I personally didn't actually see the push on Forrester in the first place no it was clearly a foul but it's tough and these are big games and um I, I personally think the standard of refereeing isn't bad in the league at all. Uh, I think uh, they get a bit of a bit of a bad rap at times, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Johnny. I'm not. I I they get a bad rap, but um, I don't know. I, I sometimes feel that is it the standard of refereeing itself, or is it that how they communicate with people and that's, managers that's and players true. that winds people up? Because certainly, I would have had quite a few messages from past and and current players. Um, about referee in the last week or two, and that's a big point that comes up that um, the communication of decisions is is as egregious to them as the the yeah. actual decisions themselves, and that's something you have to look at. Uh, just just finally, uh, we just got a minute here before we move on. Um, Fergal J makes a reference to shells off a league form, no league wins since July. Now they didn't. Have, the only thing is they had a long run of not playing games. Um, but it is a point, but I think they've sort of focused all their energies on the cup now. Yeah, uh, and I, I, it's it's a it's still a good season, I think, um, for what's happened to them. Owen Riviere isn't too happy about uh, these playoffs coming up. He's a Galway fan, and he's even worried about Longford and Keane Ganey uh, on about the Eredivisie Astro ban from 2025. Would you support it in LOI? Keane said he'd keep it. Um, I don't think there's really going to be an opportunity to ban it here uh, with our weather, um, but I, I, I would certainly like to see better standards introduced for our Astro pitches. Um, I don't know how you standardise that, but clearly um, they're not very good. But uh, there, that's all your comments, everyone. We appreciate them. But let's move on now to catch up with Richie Ryan. Richie, I tell you, I was I was looking up some of your stats, some of your career stats on Wikipedia there. So I was just typing in your name to see former clubs and, and just to, get, to refresh my memory. And the first thing that came up on Wikipedia was Richie Ryan, former football player. How does that sentence sound when you're now a former football player? It's a weird sentence to hear it said. Yeah, it's the first time I've heard it, Dan. Yeah. Um, so, some, somebody's obviously edited the Wikipedia, but yeah, my, my wife actually said it to the babysitter at the weekend that uh, it was my retirement party, and I thought, 
I don't like the sound of that. Um, yeah. It is what it is. So just to, I mean, I think most people would be generally familiar with your story listening to the sort of League of Ireland podcast, but you, you've been in America for nine years now, North America for nine years now. You've been in a few different places. Um, and the longest stint you had, I mean, you were in Miami um, and you were working with Alessandro Nesta and you had some great experiences, but you've spent your last four years in a club called El Paso Locomotive um, in Texas. So are you talking to me from Texas at the moment? Because you've retired and now taken a new job as an assistant coach with a Tulsa in Oklahoma. So like, where are you at the moment? What's actually going uh, on with you right now? <laughs> Every, everything, though. <laughs> um, busy, busy schedule at the moment, trying to pack up, a, pack up a house with three kids and a dog and everything else that comes along with having a family. Um, yeah, we're, we're leaving El Paso after, after four memorable years here. Um, we've loved our time here in, in West Texas, close to Mexico. Um, we had it. The end was the end was near at the at the club here, and it was time to to look for a new opportunity. And thankfully, I haven't wait haven't had to wait too long to to find it. But tell us about this new job now. Then what's the what's the setup? What level is this club playing at? Yeah, it's the same the same level as what I've been playing at for the last number of years. So it's it's an opportunity I'm very grateful for to get an assistant coach's job at this level straight away after after my playing days have finished. Um, I owe a lot to to the general manager and the and the new head coach at Tulsa um, for for trusting me and giving me the opportunity to go and start the start the co- uh, coaching career hopefully. Mm, so that that's the USL championship, right? That's the, yeah. that's what the level yeah. is. And we've seen like a lot of players um, go from the League of Ireland to various levels of the American ladder. You know, Lee Desmond in recent memories, Dan Casey, Eamon Zaid's doing a bit of managing there now. And yeah. I, I could name sort of a lot of others who've gone, some of whom have come back. Um, what's the level like? Like what level of, how would you sort of describe the level of football that you, you've been involved with over the last, because you were like, I'm just looking here, Ottawa, Jacksonville, Miami, Cincinnati in their year before they went into the MLS and then um, El Paso Locomotive. What level of football are you operating at there? I, I would say it's pretty similar to to the League of Ireland. Um, I, I think a lot of the clubs are of the the same level. The players are of the of the same level as well. I'd say the the style of football is probably a little bit different. I think the the intensity and the competitiveness back home is is probably higher than what the USL Championship is. Um, mm. But even within the USL Championship, I think the Western Conference, it's split into two different conferences of the, the West and the East. Um, so I think the style of football, even on the Western Conference, is different to the East. I, I'd say the East is probably more similar to, to back home. Mm, mm. Like, I don't know, football's a mad, it's a mad life, isn't it? Like, I mean, well, like, you know, you... I mean, I've spoken to you a number of times over the years at various stages along the way. I mean, you were at Sunderland as a kid and Scunthorpe and Boston and time in Belgium. And I, I remember speaking to you in Sligo Rovers, but like it is where you rebooted your career, essentially. I mean, that is... Yeah. Uh, I was looking like actually... It's the club where you spent the longest period of time until El Paso. Like the two of them, you've sort of spent around the same period of time there. I mean, yeah. 
what was your perception of the football industry and what it could give you when you went to Sligo Rovers versus what it has given you now, if you know what I mean? Um, I, to be honest with you, I think when I went to Sligo Rovers, it was it was a slap in the face that I needed. Um, just a, after the first year, year and a half at Sligo Rovers, I hadn't really performed to the levels I should have. Uh, and there was a few honest conversations that gave me a kick up the backside that I needed. And that was when I had I had two good seasons in 2010 and 2011, um, which made me fall back in love with the game, really. Um, and then from then, it sort of just, I think I just used football to to go and explore the world. Um, obviously, moved to moved to Scotland, met my wife in Scotland and we were like, Let, let's let's go travel. Uh, when, when things were finishing at Dundee United, it was it was an opportunity to to go and see North America. And thankfully, over the last eight nine years, it's it seems to be an opportunity that's that's paid off for us. I mean, it is mad. Like you know, football it, it can be a passport for you in terms of like the doors it, it can open. And it is. Like, was that something when you went to Ottawa that time? Did you think? Let's give this two years. Let's give this a year. Did you imagine this this would now become your life? No, <laughs> didn't didn't really think too far down the line to be honest. And um, I signed a year's contract, and and we said let's go and have a crack at it for a year and see if we enjoy it. If if not, we'll go back home and and try and play back in Ireland or Scotland again. Um, and that was the way I looked at it. And I, I think we'd been there four five months. And I'd already signed a new contract and spent another year in Ottawa. And I think I just I realized quickly that the the speed of the game over here was probably more suited to to to, to my game than the speed of the game at home. I think I would have been I would have been retired six years ago if I was still at home. Mm. I think you've been a little bit modest there, but like <laughs> but five years ago. Man. Yeah, yeah, fair. But like, did you I, I don't know. I mean it's it's we probably would have a lot of players and people involved in football who might listen to this. And like, can you see why players are are steadily starting to to try out the scene in the states? Like as I mentioned, like Lee Desmond, Dan Casey, players sort of at the top of their game over here. And um, mm-hmm. they've relocated. Uh, Rob Cornwall, another recent one, sorry, last year as well. Like, I mean, America, the North America as an option seems like a pretty attractive one. I mean, the, the, in terms of the doors that can open for people. Yeah, I, I th- honestly, I think it just, it, it offers you an opportunity to travel and, and go and see different places and different cities around North America. Um, we, we've played in Las Vegas on a Friday night. Um, and then you, you get to stay, you get to stay after the game. So it's, it's, different. it's different than playing on a Friday night at home. Well, I don't know. Maybe I've heard some stories about your time in Sligo. I think that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the lights probably weren't as bright in Sligo, but I was, I was still there thereabouts. Um, but no, I, I honestly, I think it just offers you an opportunity to go and travel by, by coming out here. And, um, you know, like the players that you've just mentioned, they've all, they've all come out here and done well. So I think the fact that players have come out here and done well means that clubs are, are more eager to to keep looking at the market back home to try and get one or two more out as well. I mean, as an assistant coach now, 
are you suddenly you're going to suddenly have discussions about recruitment like you'll be part of you know yeah. these type of discussions would you be will you keep an eye on things i think you sort of half keep in touch with uh, things back home will you be looking with an extra eye now if you know what i mean yeah i think i will like over over the years even when i've been playing there's always been players that have been getting in touch and looking for the opportunity to see if i can help them get over and play in north america and I'll probably keep closer eye on it now. <laughs> I'll try to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you see yourself staying there then? Like, I mean, do you see yourself ever coming home, managing, yeah. coaching at home, or are you sort of thinking, you got a family, this is the lifestyle for us now? Yeah, honestly, I had the same, I had this conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago, and people always say, oh, what's your short-term plan, your long-term plan? I, I, I honestly think in football, you, you haven't got a plan. You, you can say, oh, I want this in five years, but you, you never know because in the coaching side of games, if you of the game, if you lose, you're going to be out of a job, so your plan's out the window. Um, so I'd never say never to going home. I, I want to, I want to go and learn and and try and be the become the best coach I can be over here, and then and see what doors that opens for me, whether that's to to move into a coaching role over here long term or, or whether there's a right opportunity to go back home and, and and give it a shot at home i mean is it strange you're actually just thinking like to look to look home to the league now and what you're 37 uh you're the same age as stephen bradley who's you know who's who's won leagues you would have played against stephen o'donnell you would have played against very yeah. higgins um tim clancy i don't know would you have quite overlapped um with tim but <laughs> similar tim a little enough, bit older i think yeah a little bit older but you know, and you know a lot of your your the people you would know in the league now are actually managers and coaches rather yeah, than players. yeah yeah it's i think it's brilliant to see i think it's brilliant to see clubs back home giving giving young coaches the opportunity um because they the game the game has changed uh, and young, younger coaches are the are the ones that are getting the opportunities all over the world now um maybe i've missed the train a little bit you're the, you're, you're the veteran now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be too old to be a head coach in a few years. <laughs> yeah. I, you, sorry, to go back to your, your Sligo Rovers memory, though, you said you got a slap in the face. Who gave you that slap in the face? Like, was it yourself? Um, was it the people? Like, who were the influences at that time that saved yeah. you, I, think, I suppose? The the board, really. Um, we had an end-of-season meeting, and... Dermot Kelly was the chairman at the time and, and Mary McGowan was still heavily involved with the club. I think she was circuit, secretary at the time. And I sat down at the end of the season meeting with them and <laughs> they basically offered me an amateur contract um, to stay at the club the following year and, and told me I could stay back home and live with my family and tip and travel up the train one day a week. Um, and, you know, at that time in the meeting, I, I didn't take it kindly. Um, mm. Dermot told me I'd been the best player on the fields in the 2009 final against Fingal for 60 minutes, and then I just collapsed, which was was true and, and very honest of him and very true. Um, but at that time, I didn't take it kindly. But when I went away and I reflected on what was said, it was it was the truth. And to be honest with you, that's what that's what I deserved. Mm. Um, and obviously. Had a couple of conversations with Cookie after that, and had a couple of other clubs around the league that were interested. Um, 
and then they offered me a little bit more to, to stay on. Cookie got me a little bit more drinking money, I would say, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was just a kick in the, kick in the backside I needed. And honestly, that off-season, I just went and trained hard and came back in pre-season and I had my head fully focused on on changing changing people's perception of me. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you've lived some great moments in your football career and I'd imagine you've played in some amazing stadiums in the States and stuff, but what would those Sligo Rovers Cup final days sort of rank highly as well? I know, like, there was... Uh, were you suspended for one? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Suspended the, for 2010, yeah. Yeah, you were suspended for the the, the, the landmark one, but you got to play in 20... Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, sorry, sorry for that memory. <laughs> sorry for that memory. I, I, we've we've actually changed our suspension rules here since then. Uh, that's that, that's great. That's that, that's not going to happen to the next one. Well, you got to play in 2011, right? So you did get to. Thankfully, yeah. You got to sample it. Yeah. No, it was it, it was it was brilliant for me to get the chance to go back there in 2011 and and relive what the rest of the lads had been able to live in 2010. Um, obviously, I was delighted in 2010 that we won the cup final and wasn't for the team and my teammates and everything but it, it wasn't the same experience when when I couldn't play in it so mm. to have that opportunity to to do it again the year after and to win it and probably to win it in the same manner as well on penalties again it, it sort of gave me a feeling of what it was like the year before yeah um, but yeah they, them moments them moments at Sligo were were unbelievable probably because the the group that we had the, the teammates that I had, it was the best the best dressing room I've ever been in. Yeah, because we had Owen Doyle recently. Um, he was doing a he did a live show with us, and he still yeah. speaks about his days at, at Sligo Rovers. Like, I mean, they're 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 fond ones that sort of stick in the memory. I'm, I'm trying to think. You obviously overlapped with Owen. You, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you weren't you weren't living with him when Paul Cook was coming round to. Uh, uh, was it, Cookie was, used to live next door to him. Yeah. Yes, and he was in. With the, he was he was weighing in with the food kitty, right? Am, am yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The boys, the boys used to take turns on cooking, and Cookie had Cookie had come over for dinner every night with them and, and give them twenty euros a week or whatever to provide the food. <laughs> it's sort of mad, but like, I, like. It, I, I suppose, like you say, it's the best wrestling we've been in. Like, are you still sort of in touch, if you know what I mean, with a couple of those lads? Or oh, yeah. Is it a social media thing? Do you? I mean, I see Kieran Kelly's like in Qatar now. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Football is a uh, football is crazy. Like, like your own experience. You've all gone in all different direction. Like Owen Doyle went and did his thing, you know, yeah. and had a great career. And he's and but he's now come home to settle at home. I mean, would you sort of still be in touch with a? Yeah, yeah. I'd say the best the best thing about that group Dan would be, you know, we wouldn't speak all the time now, but if you went and sat all of us in a pub, it'd be like we'd spoken to each other, spoken to each other every day for the last ten years. Yeah, uh, and just the the memories and the laughs and the the winning trophies and the nights out after winning trophies would be would be spoken about very much. I'd say. Mm. The um. If I was to say to you then, just like about your time in America, and there's one memory, one time as a player, like I mean, is it working with Nesta, Alessandra Nesta? Is that the thing that stands out, or was there any other sort of like, where well, what am I doing here moments? Because I had imagine you played in front of some extraordinarily big crowds, probably in Cincinnati that time. 
the yeah. crowds were pretty big, weren't they? Were they the biggest deal in terms of those turnouts? Yeah, definitely, Dan. Um, I, I think I've had a good experience at every club I've been at, pretty much. Um, you know, I, I won when we first trophy over here with Ottawa in 2015. Um, then I moved to moved to Miami. Obviously, played with under Nesta, which was brilliant, and he's obviously done whatever he's done in the game. And it was it was brilliant for us as players to have the opportunity to play under someone like him. And then to go to to go to Cincinnati and, and play in front of twenty five thousand people every week in the second division in America. So, um, yeah, the, the fan base there was was ridiculous. And just finally, in saying that, all the places you've been, uh, I saw you spoke with Mark McCadden recently. You still think Joseph and Joe was your top teammate? He's the best you played with. Yeah, Joe was different class, but like it. I've played against some top-class players over here, um, and I've played with some really good teammates. But I think that the teams that I've played in have been more of a team rather than one or two all-stars, you know. Um, but Joseph was <laughs> Joe could just dictate a game however and whenever he wanted, um, and and he he just he had a great influence on the rest of the team. He he brought the best out and. In everybody else, I think the day Joe walked into the dressing room with Sligo, we all thought we've got a chance of having some success here now. Joseph and those just walked in. Yeah, yeah, and like the personality, like he, I don't know if you've noticed, he does a bit of co-commentary on the, <laughs> on the games here at home. And I have, yeah. Have you, I don't know if you've ever tuned in. It can be, it can be quirky. It's hard to read what way he's going to go, but there's a sort of a joy that's behind it. You know, he just he loved. Like, was that the experience of being on a pitch with him? Was it sort of, what's he going to do next? Or was he more controlled than maybe that sort of the personality side you, you, would, you would see? No, I, I think from, from listening to Joe doing the commentary, I think everybody could probably tell he, he likes the, the outrageous on the field. That's what, that's what, that's, that's what makes Joe happy. Um, and he was, he was a bit like that as a player as well. He, he always... He always knew when to slow game down, when to quicken the game up, um, and then he always had a flicker, a trick that would get a would get a shout from the fans and probably a shout from one or two of us on the field as well. Yeah, no, one of the great. Well, actually, I mean, I should say before I let you go, I mean, I suppose you look at your story. Is it an example of how the League of Ireland can should function for for Irish lads? Like you, you were in the UK, you had that experience where you were. You know, you get spat out by the industry over there because that's that, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, it provided the platform for you to to make a career, to make a living from football. Everything you have now is from from football. Like, is that yeah. that give you hope for what the league can can hopefully represent in the coming years? I I think from from when I went back to the league in two thousand eight, I think it was then I I didn't know what I was going back to. Um. I didn't know what the level was. I didn't know what the standards were. And I think I, I learned quickly that I needed to get my act together if I wanted to be a success in it. And from then until now, I think the league has, has just gone from strength to strength. And obviously over the last number of years, we've had teams, Dundalk, Shamrock Rovers, qualifying for European competitions, which is massive for the growth of the league um, and the growth within the league from other clubs and the competition that are always trying to catch these teams now. Um, and then from a, a player's point of view, so, some players will want to go and travel and, and experience life 
in North America or Europe or wherever. Um, but but I think the league is the league is a good place to to build a career for yourself as well at home. And a lot of players can have a, a long and a long and steady and a successful career career back in Ireland as well. Listen, Richie, it's been great catching up with you. And I mean, we don't know if we're going to see you soon. Will we? Will we see you again? We don't know. But, I'm, uh, back, I'm back home at Christmas. Tom, or Dan, I haven't been. I haven't been home in three years, so I'll be back at Christmas. Okay, well, maybe some people might see you out over Christmas and see you out and about. It's not Vegas, but you know, it's it's Dublin or Sligo or Temple Two or wherever you're going to end up. Well, I can, uh, I can tell you where I'd rather be. <laughs> well, listen, we don't know if we'll see you again, but in the league, but we'll follow your career with interest. And uh, yeah, listen, congrats on a on a terrific career. And I mean, I'd say happy retirement, but more best of luck in the next stage of your football life. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, that was Richie Ryan. Uh, I missed out on that interview uh, in transit back on a wet, wet night to Dublin. Uh, but uh, you got on well with him, Dan. Yeah, listen, um, I I mean, Richie spoke very honestly there about how Sligo Rovers was a, a big time in his life, a sort of a turning, mm. point, turning point in his career. And... Um, yeah, the fact that he, he, I mean, I would have spoke to him before one of the cup finals, uh, before the cup final he played in, um, as, as I reminded him there, that he missed one um, through suspension, you know, about sort of that reboot he had. And uh, it's just great to see someone like that go on and like through football, make a living in a, in a completely brand new country and, and see the world of football, as he said. So, um, yeah, I'm sure that'll be a, his story will be an attractive one to to maybe players in the league here, whoever if they're ever interested about uh, going that way. But um, we should get back to uh, domestic matters here, or even like internal LOI Central domestic matters, because uh, last year, last week's Porterhouse Brew question was: Could you name the the member of the Malaysian Marvels 1997 team who went on to manage? in the League of Ireland? And the answer was Neil Fenn. Um, so uh, well done to everyone who sort of uh, did their homework and, and figured that out. And our winner, Johnny, was? Yeah, and the winner is uh, Shane Murphy. Correctly uh, got that right. And um, yes, we haven't heard that much from Neil Fenn um, since he left uh, the Cork City job. I'm sure he's been kept busy. Um, yeah, so congratulations and four beers on the way to you, Shane. Yeah, uh, so this week's question, Johnny, speaking about four beers, it's in the context of four leagues in a row, four in a row. Shamrock Rovers, 1984 to 1987. That achievement is very fresh in the mind now um, because that's what Stephen Bradley's Rovers are going to try and emulate next year. Um, but my question this week is, our question this week is, um, can people name the member of the four in a row side of 1987, the 1987 team, who subsequently won the League of Ireland as a manager? The answer isn't Dermot Keady. He was player manager in 87. Um, and he did subsequently win a league title as a manager, as a solo manager um, in a couple of places. But there was a player on that eight, 1987 team who's gone on to be a Premier Division winning manager in the League of Ireland. Could people give us that name, please? Um, Can we give a clue? LOI Central Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Well, the clue I want to give is that I hope there's only one. And if I've forgotten yeah. that, that there was a second one, um, then it's a mistake. But this person is someone you, you probably couldn't confuse with anyone else. Um, so uh, I, I hope I hope my fact-checking is right on the 87 team. Obviously, there would have been players involved 
in the 84, 85, 86 um, side, you know, Liam Buckley would have been there, for example. Um, but that's not that's not who I'm thinking about here. And so that's this week's question. Uh, what about this week's fixtures, Johnny? I mean, uh, we are, this is going to come out on Wednesday, this pod. So um, we are on in playoff zone. You're in playoff zone. But what, we've got Treaty and Waterford tonight. And we've yeah, got Longford and Galway. Obviously, Rovers uh, are in action, obviously, in back against Ghent on Thursday. Before all of that, I'm off to Longford uh, Wednesday night. Uh, for going out to Longford, Treaty play Waterford. And then the return legs, Waterford are at home on Saturday. Galway night game was moved. I think there might be a woman's game on in Terryland or something like that. But uh, four o'clock uh, on Sunday is the uh, second leg of that in the Premier Division. I'm not sure if you um, can refer to it as a women's game or something like that, Johnny. It's probably like the end of the WNL season. Probably quite significant. Yeah, all- although yeah, Galway United has now taken over the women's team in Galway, but not at the moment. So um, I'm not I'm not 100 up to date with it, but I think it was moved from either Friday or Saturday. Anyway, it takes place yeah, on Sunday. Saturday 5:20 is the, the last uh, Galway play P Mountain Aim in DC Park. It's um quite an important game, although not as important as the the Wexford and, and Shells one. In fact, P Mountain. I mean, it's not as important as it looked like it was going to be. It's actually Athlone that are still alive, uh, as opposed to. To payment, but um, yeah. Anyway, we should mention that. Yeah. It'll be um, interesting if the pitch holds up. There's been an awful lot of rain in the West, I think, and uh, Terryland does take it very well, but um, it'll you probably wouldn't want to be lashing down all uh, weekends, um, although maybe it will be to guess uh, our style of football going on Sunday. Shells play Drada in the dead rubber on Friday. Dundalk play uh, Bohemians. Sligo Rovers play St. Pat's. Finn Harps play UCD. And then on Sunday, we have uh, Shamrock Rovers Derry, and Derry are going to give Rovers a guard of honour, I believe. Yeah, and that is a bit of a... I mean, that is the dead rubber game. Um, mm. But I think Derry, they, they won't want to roll over there either. Um, Stephen Bradley said he's going to be able to pick a strong team against Ghent um, that he wouldn't have been able to pick. He says they have a few injuries. There's a few players missing the Ghent game. So Rovers may not be at their strongest. But, you know, Derry psychologically, like, you know, they... they They've 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 beaten them a couple of times in in, in Derry this year. They still probably like to do a job on them in Tallis. So while it's all about getting the trophy, I feel like there could just be a little bit of um a little bit of bite in that game still, even though there's, there's it's basically meaningless. And obviously Derry have to be conscious of the cup final. It's funny, like you even describe shells and draw as a dead rubber, which it is. But I mean, there's been a little bit of the uh, shells and draw a little bit of niggle there. I think at times across the year. Um, and the the big games though are as you say Finn Harps UCD I think if Finn Harps I think Finn Harps will go down if they don't win that game um, uh, they I think they have to get ahead of UCD uh, as I sort of mentioned um, you know I don't know I, I watched Harps against Dundalk on the stream last week um, they're not quite the Finn Harps side no. old but they do have the ability to go very direct and cause problems if they want to. They did in the last 20 minutes or so against Dundalk. They went for it. They went for it a bit against Bowes, and, and I mean, goalkeeping has been an issue for them this year. Um, so they have it in them to produce a big performance, but um, this is it. And we should mention they have the big draw on Friday too, so get your tickets if you haven't. Um, but yeah, the Dock Bowes um, and, and Sligo Rovers against Pats, I mean... Uh, Dundalk if they win and, and Pats don't win they're in Europe but I mean they had that crazy game with Sligo Rovers last week with the I mean 
they, there's quite a few games in Oriel recently or, or Casey's Field recently where Dundalk have been on the attack and conceded goals. And they pulled it yep. out of the last week. But um, I don't know, with Declan Devine in charge of Bowes trying to get his, you know, he's had a full week probably to work with them. And there's going to, they're big games on Friday. I'm going to, I'm going up to Casey's Field myself and um, haven't been in a while. But that's a, uh, they are really big games. Pats will give it everything in Sligo Rovers and Harps UCD. So the league title race may be over, but uh, last Friday was great with actually goals flying in all around the place and goals of substance and meaning. And I think this Friday could be more the same. But um, we'll be back next week to pour over it, Johnny. Um, I will indeed. Uh, uh, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have more reflections, more lessons learned, more references to Pico Lopez and more references to Dolby United.